Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I am excited to share the recent Firebird Book Award-winning author with you. He is Matt Jardine, and his winning book is titled Song for Sin to Seaway. Matt won in the Biographical Fiction first place, Multicultural Fiction first place, Diversity first place, and second in New Fiction. Matt is an award-winning author, podcaster, speaker, teacher, lots more, but especially a thoughtful and a thought-filled human. And he is one of my favorites. Welcome back to the network, Matt. And there is my favorite American on the planet. Hello, Pat Rulo. How are you? Oh, I'm so happy to speak with you. We've had a couple good opportunities lately, which just fills me. We had before with the first awards and the podcast, and now this. So it's always a pleasure to uh, chat with you, Pat. I agree. All right. Well, listen, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Awards. I was thrilled. Firstly, of course, this is fiction, right? The, the award before, before I wrote nonfiction, and I, I still write nonfiction. But with fiction, I was very nervous about putting the book into the award. I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I guess because I, I write a lot of it as well. But putting it out there, it seems like you put yourself more up on a pedestal to be shot. So I didn't put it in with much kind of hope. Not that I didn't think it was a good book. I worked hard on it. But when it came back with the awards, that it meant a lot. This particular book means uh, a lot to me. So I was, I was delighted. So, yeah, no, thank you. Yes. Where are you in the publishing process? Um, because I know when we sent it to our judges, it was yet to be published. Where are you in that yes. process? Yes, still yet to be published. So this is the thing with um, with the book awards, which is really good with Firebird, is that you uh, accept non uh, you know manuscripts that haven't yet been published. Mm -hmm. So the book right now it's complete. It's with my agent, and we're still looking for the kind of ideal publisher yes. um so it's doing the rounds and you know what that's like the publishing world is a it's it's fairly hit or miss right you could you can get rejected 20 times get taken on the 21st you can get rejected by the first person and they they reject it and then take it on the second run it's one of those variables that if i'm honest drives me a little bit insane about the publishing world about the traditional publishing world mm -hmm. i'm being from a martial arts background i'm used to this if i do four or five hours hard training i know i'm four or five hours better further along mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily true in writing your writing will be better but it's not necessarily true that you do the work and then it gets picked up by someone so that unknown variable i've had to practice kind of just letting go you know what I mean? Just thinking, okay, this now has nothing to do with me. I've finished the work. I've done the best I can. It's with my agent and the publishers, and I have to will not drive myself insane while we wait for a deal. And that is a challenge, I have to be honest. Mm -hmm. No, understandably so. You put your heart and soul into something. You want to see a result. And I, I'm not talking about immediate gratification, but just that uncertainty is if it will even come along. So, um yeah. Yeah, maybe it's sort of like sales where, you know, you get a hundred no's and you finally get the big yes. You just got to keep the, the more no's you get, the closer you are to the win. Yeah, and you see that, right? You see that and you know it from your own experience. We've, we've all had that. And you could point back down, you know, down your track of life and say, oh, yeah, that happened there, that happened there. But for some reason, every new project, some kind of crazy voice in you says, oh, it's different this time. Yeah. There won't be the 101 <laughs> yes. You know, and it's, it's just a weird game we play with ourselves, don't we, as artists? Artists, that it's sounds really so true. Oh, we become an artist. As, as writers or whatever we are, right? We play that game with ourselves. Oh, you know, will it get taken this time? So, yeah, something that I think all writers have to negotiate and um, 
Yeah, but it's it, it's it's part of the game, right? It's part of the game. For sure. Does self-publishing enter your mind at all? So for me personally, I really want to do the traditional route. I, I know from a self-publishing perspective, from a, from um, so often when you self-publish, you kind of kill the opportunity to be traditionally published later on. That was something I was warned about well early. And I always, you know, in my head when I go to bed at night, I'm thinking, okay, I want these in the airports and the bookshops, et cetera, et cetera. And um, right or wrong, once a book has been self-published, the major publishers are often quite sniffy about it. Right. They're quite snobby about it. And they kind of almost go, okay, we're not going to take that. Mm -hmm. So in my own head, I kind of set that standard for traditional publishing. Not there's anything, I'm absolutely not against self-publishing. It's amazing. But that's just a kind of goal I set myself early sure. in my writing career. Sure. No, everyone has their own path to travel. And so just yeah. stay on yours and good things will come. You know that. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. All right. Well, you even said it. You said this book is important to you. Maybe give us a bit of the backstory before we delve into the book, why you wrote this. So it's, um, it's fiction, but it's as, it's as close to truth. You know, you see on films inspired by truth, right? This is as close to a true story as, as it can be without dropping into uh, nonfiction. Mm -hmm. This is, my my wife is from South Africa, so I've been in and out of South Africa for quite a few years, and South Africa is an absolutely fascinating place. It's both tragic and beautiful at the same time. Yeah, as writers, right? You know about the conflict contrast, conflict contrast in character, the three scenes. I don't. I haven't been anywhere in the world where those three C's are more obvious than in Africa and certainly in South Africa. So it was always a story begging to be written. And as I watched the kind of interplay of, of different peoples and races and ideas and thoughts, I, I always wanted to write it. And then a story started to form that came from pretty much me sitting around family dinner tables, listening to stories, thinking... Did, really? Does that happen? Did that actually happen? I'm, I'm, I'm a Londoner. Do you know what I mean? But as hard as it gets in London is that, you know, you, there's not enough foam when you're cappuccino. That's about as difficult as it gets. <laughs> but when you're standing in somewhere like South Africa and you, and you see some of the actual problems that happen, it was a story that could not not be told. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for you, telling the story is what's important. The book is called Song for Cindy Seaway. And um, Cindy is a real person. It's um, Sherry's goddaughter who who went missing, and actually, tr truth be told, is still missing. Um, in, in in the book, we find her um, because I wanted to be a hope hopeful mm -hmm. end, but mm -hmm. she's actually still missing, and that happens quite a lot in in South Africa. Mm -hmm. But it plays with the whole running through the whole book is is our. Uh, natural, is natural the right word? Let's go with natural for now. I'll correct it if I think of something better. Our kind of natural tendency as humans toward prejudice, not necessarily racism, but prejudice, as in, this is my tribe here. I look at the tribe over on the mountain and they're different and I have to doubt them. It's a sort of a, a safety valve mm -hmm. until we get to learn about them, right? And South Africa has such, it's got such a wide range of um, different peoples in it, that there is a kind of a, a natural triangle of prejudice. However, you don't see that in children as such. Mm -hmm. And this is where the story starts, as three children 
playing, black, white, coloured, playing together without any of those prejudices that, that happen because they don't have the fear. And it's the story of how they change as they get older and then what happens when violence comes into their life, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found researching it and kind of living through it, it, it was, um, for me, heartbreaking. Not, I'm not suggesting my story is, is heartbreaking, you know, and I'm that good a writer, but the whole idea of looking at that, I find heartbreaking. How was this to, to write for you, emotionally? It was really difficult because, so it started off, well, firstly, I had to, um, when I, this was my first fiction work. So I'd been, obviously been writing nonfiction. So firstly, I, I wrote it as a, as a nonfiction, if you like, a kind of someone else's memoir. And that, that had to go. That, that didn't, that didn't work. It didn't, it needed to be more than that. If only to, uh, save the people I was talking about. But more than that, the symbology of fiction, I think, helps you get a little bit deeper that sometimes you can lose in memoir. That, that's what I found. So it went from a nonfiction to a fiction where I had a little bit more room to play with the ideas, a little bit, not, not safety as such, but a little bit of a step away so that I could also make some things up or I could steal an idea from elsewhere that wasn't part of the family story, but was still part of South Africa's story that needed to be included. But saying that, although you're making it up, you know that a lot of these stories, the, the bit, for example, where, um, I don't know if you remember, but Cindy is born on the lounge floor. That's completely true. That's, it's absolutely, Sherry was like 17 and she gives birth to, you know, helps her friend give birth to this baby on, on their lounge floor. Those sort of things. And, and then Moses, the gardener being shot. All completely true stories. So I, I now think of this book like, um, you know those um, patchwork quilts, you know, that are made up of different pieces of material? This is how I think of this book. It is fiction, but it's lots of patchwork uh, pieces of truth just put together now in my story. Oh, absolutely, yes. He gives them that kind of a historical peek into it as well. How was this for your wife for you to write this? That's one of the reasons I, I fictionalized it. Um, because it gave her a little bit of safety as well. I mean, if she's reading it, she absolutely knows all the stories. And so a lot of it, I kind of had to get her, not her permission, her emotional her mm-hmm. permission, really. So it, it was difficult for her. And she, we both cried in the places that you should cry in, got angry in the places you should uh, get angry in. Um, so that was, that was a, that was a good thing. But the bit you talking about this historically, Sherry tells me this story of where they released the doves. I think when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. I don't know if you remember this. I remember this being on the news. So we see it on the news. Oh, in South Africa, Mandela's been uh, released and they release all these doves, right? I, but Sherry was at the school. They were doing that. They released the doves. So to be with someone who was in that history mm-hmm. is absolutely mind-blowing. Right. And then we read about the Peace and Reconciliation Committee with Bishop Desmond Tutu, but she was there living it. And it's a really interesting thing to see something that, as a Londoner, you learn in the history books. And history books always keep you one step away, right? Yes, yes. But when you're living with someone who, yeah, yeah, that was my that was my childhood. That's that's what we did. It's it's mind blowing, Pat. It's a it's a different thing altogether. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. How about others? Have you shared this book with others in uh, Sherry's family? So I've shared bits with uh, Wendy. Wendy is Sherry's mum, who uh, 
lives out here at Amman, um, and she has enjoyed it. I haven't with the extended family. I got kind of permissions from them for various stories, but no, I haven't mm. with those guys. Yeah. And the only people there, and the other people have been my early readers, which is a selection of readers that um, that I send it to before it then goes to my editor. So it's been through all those sort of processes. So it'll be interesting to see what they think as well. Mm-hmm. But there's another, there was another inspiration, actually, for because you've got the Peace and Reconciliation Committee, that whole... Um, that whole movement in South Africa. But that was also inspired by brilliant work by Marina Cantacitino, who um, is the founder of the Freedom, uh, the Forgiveness Project here in the UK. And this was really interesting. This is where, the, because of course, we talk about her going back to see if she will forgive the uh, killer of her mother. And I went to, I was in London about, it's about three years ago, and I went to this talk called, um, uh, I think it was called Forgiveness is Really Strange. And it was right up in town by the Science Museum, and and I wandered in, and Marina was there hosting it. And there were two other people on the stage. Uh, It gives me chills even, even thinking about it. Two other people on the stage. One of the, one of the people was a, was a woman who had a son who, ten years earlier, her son, had been killed in a fight outside a pub, right? Um, he'd been he'd been punched. He fell over, banged his head, and he died. The guy on the stage next to her was the man who killed her son. Oh. It was like, whoa. whoa! Now they, of course, have been through this whole process. You know, they put it on the stage for the rest of us to see. But the whole purpose was to show that forgiveness can happen despite the most horrific tragedy. And that moved me so much. I, I was I was in tears, as most people were in the in the audience. So that so that this was this was um in the spring. In the summer I went to South Africa and in Marina's book there's um I can't remember her name, but there's a story, Amy, there's a story of a girl who got killed in South Africa. And I happened to be on a a township tour and I saw the memorial to a girl called Amy Beale. Amy Beale was an American um, student who was, I can't remember, maybe in the 80s. I'm not sure of that. She was uh, volunteering in South Africa and she was killed in a riot. And there's a famous story of her parents coming out for the Peace and Reconciliation Committee and forgiving her killers. I mean, it's a long process. I'm not suggesting it's one flight. And and a couple of the killers now work for the Amy Beale Foundation. And I was driving past, and I was like, wow, this, something like this, this Peace and Reconciliation, forgiveness is really straight, this whole that has to be in the book, which is, of course, why this is in there. Because of, uh, the, the part that isn't true isn't Sherry's story, thankfully, is that her mother, of course, wasn't, wasn't killed. Mm-hmm. She's here in Amman. Mm-hmm. But someone's was. And that's what I'm talking about, where I piece together different stories from South Africa, and they appear in this book. Not an anthology, it's a story. Right. But um, they're not all Sherry's and her family's truth. Most are, but some are taken from elsewhere, but it is all true. Well, sure. I mean, you're making the point, not w- with the exact characters, but you're still getting the message across. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Lots of dialogue, Matt. So for those who either write dialogue or wish to, what can you share with us about the art of writing dialogue? Well, so I can share with you how not to do it. Because my first, <laughs> <laughs> my first runs at dialogue 
were horrific. And I'm not, I know I'm not suggesting they're much better, but they are better. Horrific. Now, I like, I like what James Patterson says, that he says about his, his job, first and foremost, is to tell the story, right? Get people to be so involved in the story that they forget that they're in it. Now, that brings up a small problem for me because not only do I want to tell the story, I do love beautiful language. Again, I'm not suggesting that I've mastered that, but I love to read a book that is well-written. So I'm looking for both. But for me, dialogue is one of the best ways to drop a reader right into the prose until they finish and gone, oh, wow, I didn't know. Um, so what I do, a lot of dialogue is kind of writing it um, and then going back and checking it, reading it out loud. The other thing I've been doing recently is uh, study film scripts. If you want to learn dialogue, read film scripts. It is the perfect way to understand the beats between dialogue. And that dialogue, the, the temptation dialogue is to try and tell the reader everything. And then you, although, although dialogue in written form is, is not natural, right? It's, you don't, it's not a transcript, but it has to have some flavor of naturalness. Now, when you go to a film script, you see it done really well. I've just finished, um, the script to As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, which is the dialogue in that is flawless, perfect. But I would, anyone who wants to improve their dialogue, read film scripts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. You also include, I can't remember right off the top of my head the name of the river. Was it a river, the body of water that began with an N? An N? It was like the river was a character. Yes. Com okay, so that's the other C. Country as character or place as character. Mm -hmm. I'm, now, where did I hear that? I can't remember. I'm going to say Margaret Atwood, but that, that could be wrong. I read that term or heard that term in a master class, and I absolutely love that concept of country as character. And country can also be region, form, where that itself becomes something. And, and so when I set my work now, so for example, at the moment, I'm working on a book set here in Oman, and my second novel is set in Iceland. Because I love the idea that the that the setting is as important as the characters. And the beautiful thing about South Africa is that it, it naturally is a character. Mm -hmm. The place is incredible, incredible, that it already is its own beautiful prince and princess as you read about it or just look at it. So your country as character is a, is a big part of my writing. Oh. Wow, I love that. I had not heard of It's good, isn't it? Yeah. It's not my term. And that's why I, I think it was Margaret Atwood. So if, I, if, if anyone else, I'm sorry, but country as character, I'm sure she said. And I thought, I love that idea. Too. Me too. Oh, it, it struck me when I read that. It hit me. I was like, whoa, what is this? Nice. Yes. Well, that's good. We've got something right in it. That's good news. <laughs> Ah, oh, you're a funny one. What about the cover? I am sure lots and lots of thought went into the cover. Yeah, so the cover, now here's the thing, the cover, of course, we design this end. When we get a deal, that cover may or may not stay, because you know how publishers, sure. they, quite rightly, they want to put their own stamp on it. So that cover is as, as I've got. But yes, that is, the the, uh, the young woman there is as I imagine Cindy Seaware to be, because she would be around that age, 18, 19 now, as Sherry and I imagine her to be now a beautiful African woman. Mm -hmm. Simple, the whole black band with Cindy there, boom, that's all it needed to be. And the white letters, just the perfect contrast, I think. 
yeah, the the whole background is dark, and and then you've got this dark feature kind of coming out of the darkness. All is one, but coming standing yeah. out. Oh my gosh, Matt! Um, any more about this book that you want to highlight? Uh, other than that, I've got other questions as well. But anything more that you want to give us a peek into? This is quite a challenging book, right? It's not um, uh, it's quite hard work. It's dealing with some pre- some pretty big stuff, which is I spoke to my agent about this about why it hasn't been picked up yet. And certainly in the trad world, this is going to need a brave yes. uh, publisher, mm-hmm. a brave publisher, which I completely understand. So my my point, if anyone's listening who is thinking, shall I write the kind of the you know the bestseller, or shall I write what I want to write? Now I. I'm going along that line. I want to write what I want to say. Is there a risk it won't get picked up because it makes the publishers a bit nervous? Yes. Yes, there is a risk. Are you then going to do 18 months work and it not get a deal? Could be. But what you will do, you will have said what you wanted to say. And then you have the likes of yourself who, who, uh, offer opportunities for this stuff to get seen, to get awards, even if it's not published. So it will get seen. And I'm just a big believer that you've got to write what's in your heart. I'm not naive. That. I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I don't think I'm an idiot. I'm not suggesting that, you know, we have, we've got to keep one eye on the money as well. We've got to make a living. You're absolutely right. But say what you want to say. And ultimately, I do think that the brave, a brave publisher, someone who loves this, someone who gets it, who realizes actually this is not a book about racism at all. This is a book about our natural prejudice. And it's actually a book about peace and forgiveness, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, they all need someone with a little bit of gumption who goes, do you know what, Matt, we're going we're gonna to take it. Let's yep. go. Let's get it out there. Yep. It's going to happen. It has to just from reading it. Um, you're just waiting for the right person, so. Just to catch it, it's good. Yeah, it's like 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 I say in Buddhist millionaire stuff, right? It's those win-win relationships. Mm-hmm. We don't want anyone to take it. We want someone to fall in love with it. Yes. To go, I, I understand that. Get what you're doing. I understand what you're saying, how you're saying it, and we back you. Come over to our place for coffee. We'll discuss it, and then we'll get it out there. That you know, you know how I like to do deals. About that, I want to be with those sort of people. Yes. Well, a celebration is on its way. How's that? <laughs> So you're doing a lot. You're also translating some of your previous books. I saw that you just translated uh, into Polish. Yeah. So, so How to Be a Buddhist Millionaire is now in was in Spanish, uh, Portuguese, so Brazilian Portuguese, um, Polish, something else, somewhere else, I think. Yeah. So that, that's done. Uh, of course, nothing to me. I don't speak all those languages. But that's done by my agent. She specialized in kind of international rights, which, mm-hmm. you know what? So three years ago, I had no idea how that worked. You probably did. You're much cleverer than me. I just thought, you write stuff, it goes out. And when you see those stickers on the book, sold two million copies, mm-hmm. you think, wow, are there even two million copy people in England? Obviously, there are. And then you start to, then you, you, you get inside the world and you realize, ah, oh, it's about international territory rights. Mm-hmm. So you sell English first, which covers your Americas and your England and all that sort of stuff, Australia's. And then bit by bit, you get deals throughout the world. And what happens is the other publishers are looking on to see how your English does. Mm. You know, if you sell one copy, you're probably not going to get Spanish rights, for example, if you sell a load. And it starts toppling like dominoes. Does that make sense? And I, I didn't know. I had no idea how any of this worked. But I find that whole side of 
traditional publishing. Absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I, that's not my role. I just sit here and write and then a, an email comes up and Renata says, oh, well, we got Poland. Great. Brilliant. Happy days. Sign the form. On you go. Yeah. But it is interesting how they do it. It's, it's a, essentially a licensing gig. Right. Right. But for you as the author, now you know that your work is getting out there to an even even wider audience, which is which is yeah. what you want. You want that message to uh, transcend just the English language. Did I also read somewhere that you've got a children's writing workshop or a project going on as well? Yes, actually, I've been asked to uh, I've been asked to do, be a judge for a few writing competitions out here in Amman, and I thought. I've been reading through some stuff, and, uh, and Sherry is a teacher, so she's a deputy at a school. And I've been reading and thinking, and thinking back to my own education, that being taught English is not the same as being taught how to tell a story or write a story. They're 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 not the same thing. And I was thinking, I know now, and, and you know, in my martial arts background, I've taught tennis, I've taught um, children for for years, right? I know enough about writing and I know enough about teaching that I think I could really help youngsters in schools write better stories. Because in the early days, it's not so much a story, it's just a list of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, they'll get over that with age. But actually, it's a really simple idea to teach them what beginning, middle and end is and the hooks and all that sort of stuff. So I've written this course, which I think they'll... uh, I think they'll enjoy it. And at the back end of it, it's called, the, I think, it's the greatest story in the world ever, it's called. And, I, and at the back end of it, they will, they will understand the concept of actual storytelling, what makes a good story, how to improve their own stories, and how to evolve their stories. And, and even if they're young, they'll, they'll, I've written it so they'll, they'll get it, they'll understand it. I am so excited about this. Please keep us posted. You are the perfect person to do this because, you know, telling the story is who and what you're all about. Just this whole idea here that you told this story in the Song of Sin to Seaway and don't have it published, waiting for a person, don't know if you're going to get a publishing deal, but you wrote it because you had to tell the story. What a shining example you are to teach this kind of idea and concept of telling a story to young children. I am just so excited by this. Thanks. But yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this one. This is one of those, you know, you, you know, those inspired actions, right? You know, you push when you're pushing through molasses when it's a lot of work. Mm. Okay. But those inspired actions where you literally, you get up, and you've worked four hours on an idea, and it's happened without you thinking. Mm-hmm. Those sort of inspired actions. This came from that. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, I could write a course. I know this course. I can take all the things I've learned from uh, from writing, and I could childrenify it. That's not a real word. It should be a real word. And, and boom, it was it was born. So that was because it moved so quickly. That was something I thought, okay, this has got to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I do my first my first course next. Tuesday. No, what day is it today? Friday or something? Yes. Tuesday. I do my first one at a school over here. Please post about that or send me an email. Let me know how that goes. I will. Just, yeah, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll yeah. let you know. I think you'll like it. Yes. It, it, I'll do the first one. We'll see how it goes. I have no doubt, like all lesson plans, it'll get tweaked after. Sure. Right? We'll go away and go, okay, that could be better. But um, yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. But I'm excited about this one. Oh, for sure. I mean, the children are going to be teaching you how to tweak it and what's necessary. So uh, Absolutely right. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. You, you're doing so much. How do you find the time to do all of the things that you do? Where, how do you juggle all of this and do it so well? Well, I don't always, is the truth. And sometimes my body just melts down. I, my body, uh, my kind of emergency stop is migraine. And when a migraine comes, I now, I literally just, I have to go to bed. Mm. And that is an indicator 
that I'm way too highly strung, Mm -hmm. back up, go to bed, calm down. And and that's the constant balance, to be honest, Pat. And I I don't always get it right. A massive one for me is I've been in meditation my whole life. Mm -hmm. So that's a big, big thing for me. But exercise... Um, and then where possible, trying to just stop short of that point where the body just takes me out of the game. But yeah, I don't, I don't always get it right. Well, um, but I, you know, as I say to Sherry, I'd rather go down on fire than not at all. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my friend Matt, anything we missed that you wanted to highlight today? No, but just again, I know I thank you every time, but you do such a, a great job for authors for us to get our voice out. It's not, as you know, it's not always easy. And so really happy that you're out there. I've, as you know, I follow your Twitter account and you're always so supportive of everyone. So, you know, I can't really speak on behalf of everyone, but I'm going to, but on behalf of all the authors that you help. So, you know, lots of love to you and thank you so much for all you do for us. Oh my gosh. It is my pleasure. And especially when I get to meet so many fabulous people, no one quite like yourself. I have a special little spark for you um, for oh, some reason. Yeah. All right. Share all of your contact info, where folks can find out more about you, what you're doing, how to how to reach you. Uh, where, where, where am I? I'm on uh, just the normal thing. Uh, my Instagram is MJ, the hardest path. So MJ stands for Matt Jardine. The hardest path is my first book. And my uh, on Facebook is just... Uh, what is it, Matt Jardine, I think, author page. That's how prepared I am, Pat. Look, I'm a, I'm a consumer pro. I don't even know how to contact me. <laughs> and other than that, if you stand on the top of a mountain with a, with a, with a smoking fire, I will get back to you, like the, like the Batmobile. I will, I, will, I will answer if you smoke the fire. That's how you can contact me mostly. <laughs> All righty. We'll be out there looking, looking for smoke. Matt Jardine and soon to be read Song for Cinda Seaway and uh, all of the other wonderful things you're doing, your podcast, your chats with authors, just everything. And stay in touch with us, Matt. I just absolutely adore you and who you are. Thank you so much for today. Thanks, Pat. Lots of love. Thank you so much.